0: New cyber threat warnings for the critical energy sector and securing the telehealth field as it's poised for explosive growth. These stories and more coming up in the ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro. The issuance last week of a rare technical alert from the U.S. Department of Homeland Security and FBI is a reminder of the cyber threat facing the energy sector. To discuss that threat, I'm joined by Data Breach Today Executive Editor Matthew Schwartz. Hi, Matt. Hi, Eric. Before we get to the specific
1: alert, take a few moments to characterize the cyber threat facing the energy sector. Well, the energy sector, like a lot of other sectors, uses a lot of Internet-connected devices. Now, The wrinkle with the energy sector is some of these devices will have a lifespan of 20 or 30 years. If you go back 10, 15, 20, 25 years, some of these devices are connected to networks, but were never meant to be internet accessible. Unless organizations have spent extra time and money putting in additional security technologies, they could find that some of the critical gear running their energy environments Things like power production, for example, are inadvertently internet connected. That means that someone located anywhere else in the world could potentially remotely access the system. There is no single energy grid. There are lots and lots and lots of different providers, oftentimes using different software and hardware and having different networks. When people worry about hackers creating a U.S. blackout, that's probably not feasible. What we could see, though, are point disruptions of a certain provider or a certain small segment of a provider's network.
0: I believe the alert cautions that it may not be the main providers that could be targeted, but their business partners.
1: The alert cautions that larger energy concerns are being hacked into by attackers going for their business partners. So some of these business partners are in the energy sector, but others are in the water, aviation, manufacturing, for example, with the industrial control system gear, also the nuclear sector. They're warning that firms that aren't well protected and might be very small, so they might not have a big budget for security, might get hacked into, and then attackers are pivoting. That's hacker speak. into larger networks that may have direct connections with these third party suppliers in some cases or business partners in other cases, networks.
0: This seems like an overwhelming challenge. Uh, are there suggestions of how best to defend against
1: these kind of intruders? In this case, as in so many others, you really just want to practice some very basic smart security. For years, security experts have been recommending that organizations segment their networks. You create segments of networks devoted to doing different things, and you look for unauthorized or unusual traffic trying to jump between these networks. If someone is trying to get into your network, if someone does get into your network and maybe is trying to do some reconnaissance or exfiltrate data, you should be able to spot this. Another defense you can put in place is to keep an eye on indicators of compromise and other techniques that are used by attackers to conduct reconnaissance and to directly attack networks. And the alert from DHS and FBI includes some of these indicators of compromise, although security experts have warned that these shouldn't be used without further testing. It looks like there's been a, maybe a bit of a dumping ground of things that might be connected, and security experts are saying not everything is necessarily connected, and without further vetting, using all of these indicators of compromise might actually not be beneficial.
0: Do we know who poses the greatest threat to the energy sector? Are they nation states, terrorists,
1: criminals? The short answer is No. The groups that appear to have been spending time examining power grids appear to be nation states. And in particular, Russia has been cited. For example, in the DHS and FBI alert, a group that the US government has previously said it believes is affiliated with the Kremlin is behind a lot of this reconnaissance activity. We've also in Ukraine seen disruptions that look like Russia using the Ukraine as a test bed for how they could sabotage industrial control networks and other power providers, either as a first strike capability if they were to invade or just cause some chaos. It's not clear how this might get used. It does seem like it would represent an escalation, however. And there is some doctrine out there with NATO where a disruption of this sort might be classed as an attack on a member state. It might provoke a physical or kinetic attack by NATO members. So this is uncharted territory. I would think, though, Nation-states are the big threat here. I know people talk about terrorism a lot, but terrorists seem to be having an outsized effect using very low-key capabilities. And to the best of my knowledge, we really haven't seen much hacking activity associated with terrorists.
0: Are Western governments and or the industries are cooperating in trying to prevent these kind of attacks?
1: Ever since 9-11, the U.S. government, amongst other governments, has been sounding security alarms saying the critical infrastructure is a potential attack vector for terrorists. And now we see it with nation states possibly being used in conjunction with attacks or disruptions. Despite those warnings, more than 15 years later, as best I can tell, we still see widespread vulnerabilities. We still see attackers getting into networks using relatively simple exploits and other capabilities. Is it being taken seriously? Probably no. Probably needs to be taken a lot more seriously. What needs to be done? Most of the critical infrastructure in the United States, anyway, is privately owned. If the government wants to put some money up, they might get firms to buy in more heavily, but there are lots and lots of small players There's long been a discussion about whether the government needs to mandate some minimum security requirements for anyone who's in any of the so-called critical infrastructure sectors. But at least since 9-11, there's been no appetite for Congress to do any such mandates. Thanks, Matt.
0: Thank you, Eric. When we return after this message, a report on securing the rapidly growing telehealth marketplace.
2: That information is being shared. It's out there. And if it's misappropriated, it could create some risk for the patient.
0: This is the ISMG Security Report.
3: ISMG's Healthcare Security Summit will take place November 14th and 15th in New York City. Keynote address will be provided by Jim Ralph, Chief Security Officer, Aetna Global Security, followed by other industry-leading CISOs from organizations like Blue Cross Blue Shield, New York Presbyterian, Hospital for Special Surgery, and more. Visit events.ismg.io and register today. We're back.
0: Employing a variety of tactics and technologies, including the Internet, as a way to deliver virtually medical health education services is poised to explode. As my ISMG colleague, Marianne kolbasak mcgee writes, telehealth is on the cusp of rapid growth. Marianne joins me to discuss the evolution of telehealth. Welcome, Marianne. Hi, Eric. What's happening now to propel the growth of telehealth?
4: telehealth has been around for many years, but there's a variety of factors potentially driving this recent growth that we're seeing or the growth that we are expecting to see. And that includes a big push on the federal level in terms of legislation that's examining how to expand coverage for telehealth services, such as telestroke care for Medicare patients. But in the meantime, there's also been a big demand from patients, growing options for the number and kinds of devices that can facilitate collection of health data remotely, such as wearable devices, as well as to enable remote interaction among various parties, including various providers, as well as the various manufacturers that make these products.
0: What challenges exist to protect patient privacy and provide adequate security?
4: Unlike traditional physician offices where a patient's data can be found on the doctor's server or in paper records or perhaps contracted with a cloud service provider, telehealth really expands the landscape in terms of all the different places that data is being generated, what devices are being used to generate the data, where it's being sent how it's being accessed, and how it's being stored, and by whom. Many more modalities contain patient information, and that increases the exposure to sensitive information, jeopardizing patient privacy and security. Also, when it comes to telehealth services, there are potentially more people or organizations involved in or responsible for providing protections to manage and store patient information, such as third-party outsourcers. Here's Emily Wine. She's an attorney at the law firm Baker Donaldson, which advises clients on security and privacy laws surrounding telehealth.
2: It's not just your telehealth physician that has access or is storing your, your personal health information. It's the software company that that physician has contracted with to maintain that electronic information that you're sharing via a telehealth visit. More people just touching your information.
4: The growing number of devices that collect patient information present additional risks to security and privacy. Here again is Wine.
2: New creative devices, perhaps wearable devices, perhaps devices that are easily lost, perhaps tracking information that you never thought it would track. For example, your location, perhaps that doesn't amount to health information, but it's still personal information. And that is, again, shared with your telehealth provider if they're remotely monitoring some of your behavior or your well-being from a distant location. And again, that information is being shared, it's out there, and if it's misappropriated, it could create some risk for the patient.
0: What should physicians and other healthcare care providers do to mitigate these risks?
4: For starters, entities involved in telehealth need to do a very thorough security risk assessment that should go beyond what a typical provider would do to secure, say, information collected and stored on a doctor's office server. There needs to be attention paid to the various devices and systems that collect and process patient data remotely, such as wearables. Telehealth providers also need to pay attention to authentication, including the patients who are remotely sending health data the clinicians and others that are accessing that data, and then also assess whether that data that's being transmitted remotely needs encryption.
0: Well, thanks, Marianne. Thanks, Eric. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. Finally, security companies are warning that a global attack using compromised Internet of Things devices could be coming soon.
3: ISMG Security and Technology Editor Jeremy Kirk filed this report. The security company Checkpoint says one million organizations are running a device infected with Reaper. That's botnet code suspected to be related to Mirai, but spreads in a much different way. One year ago, the prediction that the Internet of Things would turn malicious on a large scale came true. Mirai infected millions of IP cameras, routers, and digital video recorders. Then came the chaos, distributed denial-of-service attacks that disrupted Amazon, PayPal, Spotify, and Twitter. Mirai sought to take over the easy targets, which were IoT devices with default or weak authentication credentials. But researchers have found Reaper instead exploits known security vulnerabilities, which is a troubling development. Checkpoint first noticed the botnet late last month targets devices such as IP cameras made by D-Link, Netgear, Linksys, Synology, and more. For the moment, Reaper seems focused just on spreading itself. Checkpoint says 60% of the corporate networks that are part of its threat cloud managed services had devices infected with it. And although the compromised devices haven't been used for DDoS attacks, that appears to be coming. Reaper is coded with an execution environment called Lua, which is a popular scripting language for gaming applications like World of Warcraft and Angry Birds. The Chinese security company kihu 360 says that the use of Lua means Reaper can be loaded with complex and efficient attack scripts. Despite last year's Mirai problems, IoT devices are still a trouble plagued area. While there's broader awareness of the issues, transitioning from years of poor coding and security practices doesn't happen overnight. Patching procedures for IoT devices are far more disjointed than desktop computers or mobiles. Consumers and businesses often use IP cameras and routers long beyond the their service life if a device still works there's no compelling reason to replace it and that's what makes iot so appealing to attackers for information security media group i'm jeremy kirk that's the ismg security report our theme is by
0: ithaca audio i'm eric Chabro. catch you next time